All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This is the Wally and Mathot Show Live. Now, here are your hosts, Brent Wallace and Mark Mathot. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Wally and Mathot Show Live. Uh, brought to you, as always, by SportsInteraction.com. I'm Brent Wallace. He's Mark Mathot. The chat is open. We uh, encourage you to be in it. Also, we encourage you to like and subscribe if you happen to like our little show. Uh, Meth, um, how are you doing, by the way? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. I don't want to take a lot of time because I want to get to Mike McKenna. There's lots to talk about, but I do want to start with you before we get to him. And that is after watching last night's game against Vegas, I want to show you the Stanley cup current odds. And if your mm. mind has changed on who should win the Stanley cup as these odds sit right here and you'll see uh, Colorado and then Florida, Tampa, Carolina, Calgary, and Toronto round out the top six. Yeah, no, I, I, I know I, I was a big supporter of Vegas over the summer uh, based on their season last year and all that stuff. And to keep it short, I'm having a lot of doubts now. They're a big, heavy team, and I do suspect they'll be much better in the postseason. But, I mean, you watch Colorado right now, some, even Florida, Tampa, all these teams, but specifically Colorado, they're just so skilled and fast. I could go on a long rant about how well they're playing, but... I know they're the clear-cut favorite at the moment. I think what we've learned over the years is that nothing's really set in stone. It's just getting into the dance, and then a lot of stuff can happen and change. But um, I wouldn't write Tampa Bay off just yet either. With the way they can just sort of turn it on in that postseason, 
it's t- it's hard to bet against them as well. So yeah, anyway, we could go on and on about it, but I really am having second second thoughts now with regards to my Vegas pick. Well, if defense wins you championships, then obviously Tampa with Vasilevsky and the blue line that they've got certainly looks exactly. pretty good. Um, interesting to say, well, I mean, there's two months left in the season. We'll see how it all plays out as we get closer. Yeah. And we may even use the, by the way, uh, the lottery simulator later in the show as another way to see how Ottawa is going to fare at the end of this regular season. Uh, that's it for now. Go to sportsinteraction.com, Canada's online casino and sportsbook. You can place your bets right now on who you think is going to be Stanley Cup contending. Uh, the winning ch- the winning team... Uh, by the way, they have the most competitive live daily odds. Use the Wally and Mathot when you log in. That's sportsinteraction.com, Canada's online casino and sportsbook. And we, before we bring on our guest, uh, it is brought to you by the cool, refreshing taste of Whitewater Beer, who have a new flavor out. This funky, mm. fresh sour. It's a kiwi lime sour. It's phenomenal. Uh, the beer Santa just dropped some off. <laughs> it is really good. Use the uh, Wally Mathot, or sorry, I can't use the Wally Mathot coupon code. Use the wham.funkyfresh coupon code. Get 15% off. Your order online when you go to shopwhitewater.ca. Um, that is a beautifully tasting beer. I suggest you uh, throw one in. You can mix and match, by the way. So get your regular order and then throw one of these or two in just to try it. You can do that as well. Um, that is shopwhitewater.ca from our friends at Whitewater. Now, as I promised, former Ottawa Senator goaltender, uh, by the way, who he seems to have more jobs now than he did when he played professional hockey. Uh, he's an NHL analyst for DFO. He does Sirius XM. Uh, he covers the Knights and the Blues. He's a goalie coach. Uh, he's a dad. He's just like Mike McKenna. I, I'll just get to it. Welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, I don't know if you missed anything there. I'm hoping you didn't. Uh, sometimes I feel like my plate is just way too full, man. But uh, yeah. you know what? I got a lot of diverse interests in life, so I figure I might as well keep that going. You know how it works in media, man. You want you want to make ends meet. Like You got to be willing to do things, and you got to always be willing to show up. So uh, it's kind of mm-hmm. like my career. I just was always ready to go. If I was hurt, I still played. If I got called up to a team that wasn't playing well, I did my best and tried to make the most of it. Uh, by the way, you've added writing to your uh, repertoire of late. It's been really, really good. Like, Were you always that good at wanting to try in your hand at writing? Well, I actually did a decent amount of it while I was still playing, just like occasionally though. I'd write for In Goal Magazine, which is an online publication that's really obviously very goalie heavy. Um, And I was really thankful to David Hutchinson and Kevin Woodley, who really run that publication. Kevin Woodley's with NHL.com as well. And that kind of kept my writing chops up while I was playing. And then my last season pro at the end of the year after I had finished up in the minor leagues and lehigh valley nhl.com came along and asked if i'd like to write some pieces about goaltending and playoffs and so i've kind of fallen into this and i didn't go like i have a degree in economics which involves a lot of writing but it wasn't journalistic writing and i took one journalism class my whole life so <laughs> i've uh I've well, what did had you to take what to... did you take at st lawrence mike because you spent economics. four years there for those that are listening yeah so just economics yeah I was an economics major. Uh, I started off oh. expecting to do three plus two engineering. And then after the first week of physics class, oh. I realized that dream was dead. <laughs> uh, I was not capable of the mathematical aspect of it. So that got canned. And uh, and then I shifted to economics and found that I liked it. So I probably would have had a minor nice. in political science if I'd realized it earlier. <laughs> We could certainly use you right about now to discuss some world issues with political science. Um, but we talk hockey instead. Uh, you watched, the, as you cover all the Vegas games, you guys both watched the game last night. First, 
Let's just go back to the 40 seconds at the end of the game and get your thoughts. And, and Mike, I'll start with you uh, on the tripping call on Thomas Shabbat. <laughs> uh, honestly, I could care less. I just think that penalties happen, man. And like when you put your mm -hmm. stick into somebody's skates, the, you're going to get called. And like the thing that we can see in real time is five different camera angles that make it look obvious that maybe it wasn't blatant or it wasn't that bad. Well, we don't know what the officials are looking at on the ice. We don't know their angle of it. You just see a stick go in somebody's into their feet. It makes contact and the player goes down. Mm -hmm. That's going to get called. That penalty doesn't even register if it's not towards the end of the game and there's a goal scored. Mm -hmm. And that's what bothers me about it is that we place all this emphasis on apparently a referee blowing a game because of one call late when that call would have yeah. been made at middle of the game anyway. Like, kill the penalty and go score a goal. Like, man, math, like, you know how this works, man. Good teams don't sit here and whine about it. Like, a loser's mentality no. is to complain about it. And I, and I really, I, I'll give DJ Smith credit, man. He said straight up, like, I haven't really seen an angle on it. I, I don't know what to think of it. Like, he punted on the answer, which to me, that's what a good coach or a good player should do. If you're being interviewed and you get that question, because that's a trap yeah. and like, that's a straight up gotcha question that you can go down that rabbit hole. And then all of a sudden everybody in your room saying like, Oh, we got screwed. And no, you, you didn't score enough goals. You put 40 shots on that and you scored once. That's not enough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I agree. And, and that's that was, the thing. And, and I was just going to say, just to, to kind of piggyback off of Mike there, like I, I read all the comments, a lot of people were just, outraged a lot of media guys and, and fans which i can understand you're passionate but you're putting your stick in an individual skates in a you know in a sweeping motion if you will you're going to get the call it's going the ref that's an easy call for the ref to make whether you agree that the contact was egregious or not it, it makes no difference the point is his stick went there it hit the guy's skates and he went down so it's a penalty and and it's unpopular take, especially me. I should probably be more of a homer, and I'm not right now um, because God and, – and Mike has seen it. I've seen it a million times at ice level, and that's the point that I really like that you made there. It's so much different. Like, like we're not – the referees, the officials don't have that luxury of all those camera angles with a bird's eye view. You know, you're down at ice level. It happens very quickly. It's an easy call. I, I don't need to elaborate yeah. any further than that. No, and just yep. to kind of I, yeah. tag what you said, man, like – how many times have you had calls against you where you just knew, like, I didn't really do anything bad there, but I just, I knew I put myself in a bad spot. Like, that was exactly yep. that type of play to me. And Hang on. Yeah, you can't just dwell on it, man. It just, it happens in the sport and you got to play through it. That's right. I completely agree with you. And if it wasn't the 40 seconds to go in the game, like you said earlier, it wouldn't have mattered. Um, the Sens have now lost five straight games. Uh, Mike, after the game against... Arizona, which was another doozy, which we should probably get into at some point. Um, you tweeted, uh, just a reminder, that this is the first season of the Ottawa Senators' first uh, five-year run of unparalleled success. Um, and by the way, that's referencing uh, back in February of 2019, uh, Eugene Melnick said, we're all in for a five-year run of unparalleled success from every year from 2021 to 2025. Um, it's not going so well of late. And then, Mike, I'm just before I come back to you, you followed that up with what people don't seem to grasp is that I'm frustrated because you got some flack for saying that. And people thought that you were against the Sens, which we all know you've actually played for the Ottawa Senators. Um, I loved the Ottawa fans and community. The players and coaching staff are doing everything they can, but the Sens will never reach unparalleled success if they refuse to spend on salaries. Simple as that. Um, 
and everybody's been saying that. So as an outsider with the actual someone who's been in the organization, um, where do you see this franchise headed right now, which currently sits 29th in the league? I see the team getting no higher than 20th ever if you're only going to rely on your draft picks and the players that you develop. And when you spent, you know, 10, 15 years not casting a wide enough net all throughout the world into Europe with your scouting staff, and how are you going to get and data mine the best players to fill those roles? You have to support with quality veteran players. And the unfortunate part for the Ottawa Senators is that every player in the league knows that if you sign with Ottawa, there's a chaos factor. And I think it's been mitigated in the last couple of years, thankfully. But man, for a while there, you just didn't know what you were getting into. Like when I signed with the Senators a couple of years ago, they were probably 31 out of 31 teams I wanted to sign with, but it was kind of my only option that year. And I'm not afraid to say that, but you know what you're getting into, you just never expect it. And you have to pay, the team has to pay a premium to get players now. Who's going to come? You know, you get desperate players that'll come, but you're not going to get the quality free agents. And, and that's where I think that, you know, this team is just simply stuck in the mud because, man, they got great pieces. They have great prospects. They absolutely do. But you can't do it on your own when you're learning on the job. We saw this happen in Arizona for the better part of like seven years where they were just playing fantasy hockey saying, well, we're going to let the kids learn on the job. And look where that's gone for that franchise. I see a lot of that in where Ottawa is right now. And I knew that I was going to rile people up with my tweet. I get that. Okay. But it's because I'm frustrated by it, man. Like, you, like, to me, when you make a promise, you need to stick to it. But the big part was that they said that it was said, we're going to spend to the salary cap. And the teams, yep. I mean, not even anywhere in the same vicinity, a galaxy of spending to the salary cap. And 20 teams in the league are. You're not going to compete with those teams ever. And it doesn't matter that COVID's happened because there, it, 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 it didn't matter those other 20 teams that are still spending. Okay, I think that's a bad excuse. And I'm, I'm upset for the fans, man. I just think that people in Ottawa deserve better because to me, it's a great hockey market that should be a place that people want to play. I like Ottawa. I like that city. I like the fan base. And it's just frustrating, man. So I, I was surprised when people, not, I wasn't surprised when people came back at me, but I was surprised at how they were willing to back a franchise that continually has fallen short on promises to them. What kind of Stockholm syndrome is that, man? <laughs> that's how I took it. And that's the thing. It's perfect to them, right? Like your franchise uh, in the last five years, 30th, 31st, which was last that year, 30th, 23rd last season, and 29th this year. Like at some point there has to be this cannot continue. And I think you're seeing some yeah. fan apathy set in uh, along the way, obviously. It's just it's tough to watch when you've seen that franchise used to be a model franchise. And I understand that may be the mid-2000s. But there's a lot of people that still remember that and grew up with that kind of team winning all the time. Yeah. And, you know, I'm an easy target because it's like, oh, dude, look at your stats. You sucked. Well, yeah, I wasn't very good in the yeah. NHL. I get that. But I was within the organization for half a season, a full season in 2011, 12 previously. Like, I have a pretty good glimpse yep. of what it's like to actually play for the team, which others don't. Okay. And be there. I get what that's like. And it's not right. a vindictiveness. It's just like, man, like, let's get the act together and be a franchise that people want to play for again, please. Like, I would like to see that. And it's just funny, though, because people will come at you with your stats and they'll dismiss you. It's like there's nobody on earth good enough for some people 
to be an analyst or to analyze a situation right. unless they're like Gretzky. And then they say, well, Gretzky's boring anyway. <laughs> and it's like, well, you, you're yep. just never happy, man. You're never going to be happy with whoever's analyzing things. So you, you can't cater to everybody. Well, Mike, no, just to that point, true. though, don't you don't first of all, don't sell yourself short because you played in the National Hockey League. You played for enough yes. teams that you've seen a ton. Like you're if anything, you're probably more qualified in this area right now when we're talking about organizations and how things are run than a lot of other players because you've, you've happened to play for a lot of organizations. And I was just going to add earlier and I don't want to cut you off. I think rule number one on Twitter you never apologize. Don't ever <laughs> apologize on Twitter because you're never going to appease everybody. People are fucking crazy and that's just life. And that's Twitter in a nutshell. So, uh, but that's now that we got that out of the way, I there, there's a lot of truth and I know it's uncomfortable for a lot of people to, to hear, but there's a lot of truth in everything Mike just said as far as his assessment on free agency, luring players in. And I've touched on this before and I'd, I'd poke jabs at Canada, Ontario or, you know, the... What's the hotel out there in the in the West End, Wally, or Brook Street? Mike might even know. I know what Brook Street. Yeah, Brook Street. Yeah, like so the when you're, you know what, armoires and, that have flat screen TVs yeah. in them. Yeah, <laughs> so, this is NHL. So this is when, where you put me up, right? So, and that's and that's not a slight. Like I, that's not a slight at, at necessarily the organization per se, and maybe it is a little bit. But I think for the most part, what I'm trying to say is, and kind of touching on what Mike said, when you're a player coming in here and you're driving in, a, you know, you're landing at the Ottawa airport. You're not driving through any flattering areas of town, of course. And then you fly, you drive right out to Canada, stay at the Brook Street. It's a nice hotel, fine, but it's in the middle of a cornfield. And then you go to the arena, which is also in the middle of a cornfield. And nothing's very sexy. You know, it's just like you go into a lot of other cities around the National Hockey League as a player and you're downtown. It's vibrant. There's restaurants, there's bars, there's more energy. Ottawa lacks that. So where they have to make up for it is having a good team or... Uh, maybe bolstering whatever you can make look good at the arena or like the, the the meal room or I don't know what it is, but you have to do little things so that because players talk, right, Mike? Like we all talk about oh, other yeah. organizations. When you go in from one to another, the word of mouth is huge. So I guess the point I'm trying to make is Ottawa's in a very difficult spot because they've already got their issues with the cap and spending up to at least the floor. And then, of course, Beyond that, they've handed out some pretty greasy contracts lately. But I think a lot of that is they're just, as Mike said, they're not able to get those star guys or good quality players for those tags. And that's an issue that for whatever reason, we just gloss over all the time and we never really address. We talk about, well, the defense sucks right now or the goalie situation is a little chaotic or so-and-so. And so, like, the elephant in the room is very simple. They don't spend a lot of money here. That's obvious. And beyond that... They haven't really acquired a lot of great players over the past few years. Like, look at all their insulation players, if you will, that they brought in. There's not a whole lot of real quality there, and they're having to overpay them. So, uh, I to Mike's point, it was a pretty harsh assessment, but a lot of it I agree with. And I'm interested to hear what a lot of the yep. fans think of this. Yeah. And, I, and I'm – listen, I, I understand the arena's in a terrible spot. It is. Like, it's on the other side of the highway. Like, even if it was on – the side with all the restaurants would probably be better off than where it is. But I still hold that people will show up to that building if the team is good and yes. if the fans feel like they're getting value out of it. There's no connection yep. to the community that I see that's tangible. I didn't feel that because everybody's so apprehensive of, of frankly, of ownership. And I'm, you're right, Meth. Like I've been paid by 16 NHL teams in some capacity in my life. 
And people forget that about a jobber like me with a suitcase tattooed on his leg that I have <laughs> realistically as good of a, I have probably as good of a grasp of the NHL landscape from the inner workings of franchises as anybody. And that may sound egotistical or, or it's hubris to it, but it's just true, man. Like I've been there. I know what they're like. I can walk in a locker room or a franchise right away and tell you whether it's good or bad or what they do right or wrong or what they can improve upon. And I'm not afraid to say that. So where does Ottawa I was afraid to say that for a long time. Bottom barrel. Like, and that's the hardest thing. I don't know how you fight that. But I, I think that starts from the top. You've got to build the right chemistry with the community and you've got to have players that want to be yeah. there. I thought I honestly thought that Brady Kachuk's deal was a huge coup for Pierre Dorian to get without any bonus money in it. Honestly. I didn't yeah, see that happen. Sure. So like that was that was a big piece that he got locked up there. Batherson's deal to me, that's gonna look like a good deal. Like this doesn't yeah. all lie on management or it doesn't all lie on the players or the coaches. They're all doing everything they can. There's just not enough Great. talent. And that's because there isn't enough money being spent. Um I it's, I was just gonna try to talk goaltending before I had you on. So I veered off a little bit, which is always <laughs> the case. Um Okay, I got time so for you guys, I a, man. I, <laughs> I get so many questions on goaltending. Um, and I want to get Let's to get Greg Anderson it. as well later in the show. Okay, but first, uh, I don't know how well you know Matt Murray, uh, who just went on the IR for the fourth time since being an Ottawa Senator, which is like a year and a half. He's missed 38 games. I just know as a backup, um, how t I guess how frustrating is this going to be for an organization to continually see your arguable number, arguably your number one guy on the shelf all the time? Well, are they surprised? They they spent six point two five billion dollars on a fragile goaltender, and it it sucks to get labeled that. But Murray's been hurt so many times in his career in Pittsburgh. Now in Ottawa, I mean, the rap for years in in Pittsburgh was they get, they're trying to get him to bulk up. They're trying to get him to be more durable. Well, here it is playing out, and realistically, he's played fifty games one year in his life in the NHL. Like, I don't even know that you could call Matt Murray a true starting goalie in the NHL because he also had Marc-Andre Fleury as insulation in Pittsburgh when he was winning, his, winning the Stanley Cups. So yep. he's always been somebody who's performed better when he has a, has quality goaltending with them, which I think you've seen this year with Forsberg. There's been a bump in Murray's quality of play. It's not all on his shoulders, but I don't know how you get rhythm going when you can't be available. And, I mean, I played through a lot of things, man, but that's because I felt like I had to. And I don't know Murray's situation if his body's just given up on him, but like I, I watched him a lot at Pittsburgh at the end, and I watched him last year, and then I've watched him recently. And I always thought that he was very mechanical. He was very goalie school goalie in a lot of ways, technical, not a lot of reaction to his game, you know, not a lot of game feel. And it's kind of a differentiating factor between him and Forsberg to me, because Forsberg is is very fluid in how he plays. Uh, he, he can be explosive yet controlled, whereas Murray is very rigid sometimes. And and you see that with Murray, how pucks just bounce back right off him. You shoot a, shoot a puck blocker side on Murray, it's coming right back in the middle. Like the, the rebound control isn't there because of his natural posture and the way he plays, which leads to the puck being in the zone too long. It's not necessarily that he's getting crushed on rebound goals. It's that the puck stays in the zone because when you shoot the puck on net, and creates a rebound, you tend to retain that puck. More often than not, the team that's shooting stays with possession. So I think that's part of it. I think that he becomes so reliant on his technique that he stopped reacting. You know, we'd all seen the bad angle goals just over his shoulder. 
The difference I've seen recently is ever since he went down to work with Justin Peters in Belleville, the goalie coach that was recently, that was, I think it's his second year at the organization, recent pro. Yep. I've seen Murray be more active. He's reacting more. He's able to move vertically a bit. Um, but I still think it all relies on tracking for him. If he's not tracking the puck well, oof, it gets ugly in a hurry. And that's a hard thing to teach. So um, he's been, he was better, but man, those last couple of games were great. And now he's hurt again. So where do you go? Two years left so did, in the did deal. Have, I mean, they're Did he have a history moving. of this? Sorry, Mike, this is a delay. I, I don't want to step over yet. Was there? No, you're you good. You mentioned there was, a hist, there was a history of injuries with him prior to Ottawa. See, this is, how, this is why I'm happy you're on, because I'm so oblivious to the goalie stuff. Was he getting hurt a lot as well in Pittsburgh? He missed time. He missed he missed half of a Stanley Cup run that Marc-Andre Fleury, I believe, played. Oh, right. I don't have the number offhand. 12, 15 yeah. games, something like that. And yeah, yeah man, he, he's he's missed a lot of time. And again, like I know people that were in the Fleury organization and management that said, yeah, we just we tried so hard to get him to, to bulk up or get his body to be ready. And it just, they didn't know it was there. And... Mm. He, man, this guy was the best American League goalie I'd ever seen. Like he, the if you look at his American League numbers, I think he had a year he was like nine forty. He was oh, wow. unbelievable. Like he was like the second coming of Jason LaBarbera in that league. If you remember, like Barb's was <laughs> unbelievable in the American League, dude. Like crazy, crazy yeah. good for this span in the mid two thousands. And that's what Murray was. And then he comes out and he wins Stanley Cups, and it's like wow, world beater, you know. And then you start to see the technical deficiencies that. He relies on it so much. He's lost to how to react, and teams have figured it out. They learned how to beat mm -hmm. him. And people, man, it's like anybody else. It's like, you know, it's like playing against a penalty kill that hasn't changed in three years. You know how to beat it, and it's like that with goaltenders too. So, so what's what's the, so if you're an opponent coming in Ottawa and you're about to play them, you know, and for fans that are listening, typically you'll have like a little graph or you'll have a sheet with the, you mm -hmm. know, tendencies that a goalie will have or weaknesses. What are you telling your players if you're facing Matt Murray? Well, the biggest thing is that when you get pucks to him is that you need to hound in front of the net because you can expect it to lay there afterwards. And if you get that possession, uh, you're good. You go around him. But I, I think that you could always look for him in the past. His post play wasn't good. You could look at those goals that we see on the highlight reels as they look bad on him. Well, team started to know that, so he's adapted to it. But I think more than anything is just when you're shooting the puck on Murray, you've got to try to create a little bit of deception and change the angle and potentially use D as a screen whenever possible. Because again, I think puck tracking is his biggest deficiency is not just the technical mm. side. Like when he's not seeing the puck, he's not staying on his angle. He's not making that little adjustment leading into shots. that will lead him off. That'll he'll be off angle six, eight inches because of that. When he's on his game, he makes those little adjustments. He's tracking the puck better, but he doesn't have good hands. You get the puck in the air. You're likely to even then get a rebound. Um, I think that that's kind of your your number one and two is that, hey, we're going to try to use the screens if we're going to at least try to change the angle of the puck and hope that he can't keep mm. up to it. And from that point forward, get to the front of the net, get to the house because yeah. pucks are going to be sitting there. Okay. Uh, I, I told you I was only going to keep you 30 minutes and we're almost at it and I'm only on page. <laughs> you got me as long as you want, Wally. Long. Keep it going. Okay. I'm here, man. Oh, this perfect. Because is... people don't know, you've played with both Philip Gustafson and Antwerp. I think Forsberg was in Columbus uh, and Gus Ooh, was in right. Ottawa at the time when I mean, you were in Belleville. Yep. Um, Six so you degrees know of Mike both. McKenna. So, 
I know I love it. And we'll get to the jerseys behind you in a sec in your closet. And there's so many. Anyway, we'll get to you talking about you driving around with knives in your car. Uh, lots of that stuff. There we go. This was, this oh, was with Fapa Falcons. here. With Fos- Forsberg. Yeah. I was the first guy to call Forsberg Fapa in North America. I don't know if it's stuck with them since, but that was for a while. No, I've, I've never heard it. It was me. So that'll be yeah, our bring call it back. Now on <laughs> okay. So you've seen some Sens games over the season. Like, how do you all right let's just set it up in case people don't know anton forsberg is going to be a ufa at the end of the year he makes seven hundred thousand dollars. philip gustison is a one-way deal next year and of course matt murray is signed for two more how would if you are pierre dorian right now mike mckenna what is your goalie set up for next year well the team's not hmm. good enough to have any desire to buy out matt, matt murray and i think you've seen glimpses this year where he's been better so i think they're stuck with that contract um and from that point, it gets interesting because to me, Forsberg, by the way, I think the Edmonton Oilers were insane for not trading for Forsberg because I don't think he would have cost much and he would have been a stopgap that would have really helped them. But I suspect he didn't have the name. That team wants to chase a name. They think a name's going to help them as opposed to a guy who's performing well, far above the team's performance in front of him. A, a little known fact, the, the auto, uh, Edmonton Oilers had – Anton Forsberg claimed off waivers a few years ago before he came to Ottawa, and then yep. they put him right back on waiver. He never played for Edmonton. They could have had him. Anyway, yeah, I interrupted. Could have had him. I, so he, I mean, Forsberg got one year in in Chicago, realistically, before coming to Ottawa. And I don't know why he never grabbed on, because man, when he came across the pond from Sweden, like he was my teammate in Springfield. He was uh, on a, AT, a PTO, I guess, because remember how you come across math like. At the end of the season, you get guys at the end of the year. And I looked at this guy, I went, oh my God, this guy's good. <laughs> like he can skate, he can move. <laughs> like his post integrations are amazing. I'm like, I, I'm, my time is up in Columbus for sure with this guy. And then he kind of got leapfrogged by Corpusalo. So anyway, I, I I think that Forsberg's built for success in the NHL. Like I think he's a really good goaltender. And hmm. that's where it's going to be sticky because there will be teams that are willing to throw a two or three year deal at him this summer. If Laurent Brossois can get a deal, two year deal over 2 million bucks a year, and he's never been anything but a backup in the league, Forsberg's gotta be in line for two years at three or three years at two and a half, something like that. Wow. So, yeah. I mean, that's my take. Like, and is Dorian gonna pay that and have 9 million bucks tied up in goaltenders and then have Gus on a one way as well and then $10 million on goaltenders on a team that, really isn't a contender anyway, I don't see it. And that's where I think, I, I think they should be trading Forsberg full stop and get what you can for him because I don't see him coming back within the spectrum there. I also don't see Philip Gustafson as ready for the NHL, but he's got a one way. right? And so you kind of get to that shit or get off the pot moment where you have to decide, like like St. Louis did this very recently with Vili Husso. It's like, we've had this European guy for like four years over here. We need to see it now, whether he can do this or not. One way deal. St. Louis first year, eh, this year, wow. But that's kind of rare. Like, Hogberg had the exact same deal, basically. And he couldn't mm-hmm. perform because he wasn't ready yet. He really hadn't carried the mail at the American League level. And even Gus has been up and down, man. Like, he needs time to just carry it for a season. So I don't see Gustafson as ready. I see Forsberg is probably not coming back. And I see Murray is hurt a lot with a huge contract you can't get rid of. So I think the realistic play is that they're going to have Matt Murray. They're going to pick up somebody off the scrap heap for 900 grand. And they're going to let Gustafson play on a one-way in the American League until Murray gets hurt. 
and then which will be soon, and then Gustafson will get to play decent NHL minutes again. That's my oh, that's my prognosis. It makes, <laughs> it, it makes so much sense, and I can't really argue it. I just think they have to sign Anton Borsberg if they win hockey games next year. Philip Gustafson this year is three nine and one with a three sixty six and an eight ninety six save percentage. As you said, he's not ready. But how no. is how? But Mike's right. Mike's, Mike's right when he says like you're, they're going to have nine million roughly tied up with three I know, goals. Do but, you see Ottawa doing that? I don't see them doing that. He's right. Okay, no, so I don't. The trade Philip Gustafson. Can you? What's his value? I, yeah, I have no idea. I mean, okay, honestly, man, vote, like you is guys- his, his threshold of being a, a first round or a high draft pick and being a goalie of the future for Pittsburgh and that like that's past. So right. I don't know what the value is there. Who's going to take on a one-way deal for him? Who sees that one-way deal as going, that's a guy we need to have in the American League? No one. Good, I mean, it's a very good point. I just think that they got well, a, They need Anton Forsberg to back up Mike Matt Murray. Or, sorry, they need Matt Murray to back up Anton Forsberg at the moment. I just don't know why. If like At some point, do they not have to try and compete for a playoff spot? And Matt Murray and Philip Gustafson aren't going to get it done. Yeah, well, neither's the neither's the forwards, neither's the D. That's kind of my whole point to this is yeah. that I don't think you can cast a stone at any particular group on the team. It's everywhere, and you can't will yeah, your way. Like, Brady Kachuk can't walk into that locker room and throw the lasso around everybody every single night and pull them into the fire, you Agreed. know, and expect expect Schmatz, expect Batherson to score a hat trick every night, you know, like and, and you know Shabbat to play forty seven minutes instead of thirty. Like, like there needs to be depth, man, in all positions. And I think if you had more depth with the forward and D, you know, you would probably see more out of the goaltending as well. It's hand in hand. Great. I love the fact you just called Drake Batherson schmatzy because most people don't remember that. Yeah. But you would have played, I believe, with Drake, right, for a year? I did. Yeah. 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 Well, for I played for played with him for a month in Binghamton or being sorry, in Belleville. And then yeah, yeah. that just that little bit in, in Ottawa itself, yeah. Did he look like, a, and I know this is obviously hindsight, did you think of him as being like a potential 90-point guy in the National Hockey League? Uh, so the next year I drafted him for fantasy hockey in like the 20th <laughs> round because nobody knew who he was. And he'd been in the American League and an all-star, and I was like, you guys keep your eye on this guy. And he had a terrible start to the year and got sent to the American League. Like I think it was last year or the year before. I can't remember which it was. And I was like, man, I, I this guy was going to be my horse. Well, listen, it just didn't catch in time. And then now it's turned into what I expected. If you watched, even back then, like he did really special things with the puck. Like, and he was willing to do stuff that I didn't expect from a kid his age. Like he'd throw a blind pass that would make its way across, or he'd put a puck through somebody's feet. And that, like, those are kind of confident plays that you that you may see a young player do, but they very rarely execute it or do it do it often. You know, so. Mm-hmm. Um, 90 points, that would have been a lot, but I knew he'd be a 60-plus guy in the NHL for sure. Uh, what are your thoughts on Aaron Dell and that particular play? I don't think we've uh, – we obviously haven't asked you, but I'm curious as a backup goalie, uh, you know he's out there to make that hit. It's not an accident. Uh, are you disappointed in it, or is that just part of the game? I think it's just stupid. Like I don't have any other way to say it. And he's done it – he did it before, man. He did it to Mark Stone. Yes, I think in preseason, like the year before, and like mm-hmm. you should learn your lesson from these things. It, you're not being respectful to the other players on the ice when you do something that 
just mindless because no matter whether Batherson runs into him or he skates way out to the dot and clobbers him, you're still making contact with a guy who doesn't have the puck, who's not expecting a goaltender to do that. And listen, I'm all for goalies getting involved physically when there's time for it. Like you got to fight for your position in the crease. Sometimes you actually do have to be physical when you're playing the puck. You have to angle, you have to use your body like a defenseman sometimes. Mm-hmm. But to step out of the crease and just straight up level a dude in a bad spot like that is just, it's completely careless. And I was really disappointed. You know, I don't know Aaron at all. For all I know, I mean, you never know if anybody's meaning that to happen. But when it's repeated, you just can't look at that in the same light. Like you make a mistake once, whatever. But when you do it, a, several times yeah. oh, i mean i know stone dude stone wanted to rip his head off like yes, <laughs> okay? and that's oh man like and dude mark stone's a, not a guy i'd want coming at me with that old man strength dude like <laughs> he was so bad <laughs> no. yeah he was heated yeah yeah um okay i want to go to the arizona game quickly as we jump around here uh they lose eight five in a ridiculous game uh but the question I have is Matt Murray is in for all eight. Now, normally, and you, so we can go through this, but normally, Mike, I want to say you're going to pull your goalie, your starting goalie, your number one guy well before this. But I do know they came back, took the lead 5-4. So maybe that's why he stays in. But do you think he should have ever been pulled in that game? Not with the timing of everything, because you're looking at okay. a pretty close game until the last five minutes. And at that point, what does it matter? And... I'm actually somebody who, well, I can't stand pulling the goaltender. I never liked it when I was a player. Um, I'd have to be at the mercy pole, bef- like at that threshold before I wanted to potentially look over at the bench to see if the coach was going to take mercy on me. And that was usually by like five or six in the second period. I thought I might be getting the hook. Uh, I don't <laughs> think that pulling the goalie changes the momentum at all. I don't think it's it's just same thing as like, you know, going out and having a fight and like, oh, I got the boys going. Well, yeah. you only remember that when you go and score. <laughs> you know, like, it's, I wish there was yeah, statistical right. evidence to show that it actually doesn't matter. And this is my opinion, but um, I think that that pulling the goalie doesn't make any difference. Now, the deal with Murray is like, when are you going to save this guy? We need to save him. We need. They were still in the game, you know, and, mm-hmm. and for me as a goalie, I want to battle. I want to try to win that game, even if it's eight, five, six, seven, whatever it gets to that, you know, if there's five minutes left and we're within a goal or two, I don't want to be out of it anyway. So I think it was mostly timing of this game again, that the last two goals, I think we're both in the last three, four, five minutes, even the last three goals that it just, you also can't just chuck your backup in for the last four minutes. Like that's, that's a recipe for injury sitting on the bench cold like that for that long. So by that point in the third, you're kind of stuck with whoever's in the net. Uh, Quickly to Craig Anderson, uh, who tonight will face his former team, the Florida Panthers, hoping to become the sixth American-born goalie to reach 300 wins. Uh, Pretty distinguished career for a lot of people. You're an American-born goalie. So can you explain what this would mean to obviously Craig or to just, I guess, USA Hockey, that it, it doesn't happen very often? No, I mean, I'm only 292 wins away from him on that list. So <laughs> it's a good thing I retired. I was knocking on his door. Um, yeah. <laughs> I Listen, this this is something like 
Craig doesn't make a big deal of this publicly at all. It's just not who he is. But, you know, people have started to ask about it. And it was something he mentioned to me a couple of years ago when we were teammates. He's like, just want to get, just got to get to 300, just want to get to 300. So that had been a mark in his mind of where, you know, he really has set that as a goal. And I think after last year in Washington, it was, well, I'm not going to get there. Okay, whatever. And then, you know, he gets another deal with Buffalo and, and then he's hot to start the year. <laughs> like, you know, like seven and three or something, I think. And um, now he's sitting one one away from it. That And I don't know, you get these marks as a goaltender that you just, you want to get to. Like even for me, 200 wins pro was a big deal. 300 wins pro was a big deal. And not NHL minutes. But I think Anderson has been one of the absolute most underrated goalies in the league over the last 15 years in a lot of ways. I mean, some of the runs that he went on with the Senators, were crazy man like we're talking like 930s 935 save percentages in playoffs like mm -hmm. when he would get hot and he was feeling it you couldn't beat the guy and then like the, the most magical thing can happen sometimes when you face adversity as a human being you know his wife is diagnosed with cancer and he has to spend time with her in mid you know mid-season comes back 37 shot shutout coming off of it team rides that momentum like I have so much respect for Craig Anderson. Like I, I, I loved him as a teammate. Like we, you know, frankly, we still talk an awful lot. But because he was awesome, I just loved playing with him. And the ultimate irony is that somebody, when he was young in his career, was known as being a real pain in the ass. Yeah. And so he totally has flipped that script and learned from it. And now he's the ultimate mentor to these to the Buffalo team. Like he's the guy that comes in that everybody listens to. I think that's really cool. I hope he gets to 300 here because, again, like I think he's been massively underrated for a lot of his career. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I wonder if he did it to himself because you said early on in his career he will admit that he was an asshole, like to people, and right, he was he was cocky, he was arrogant, and he didn't want to listen. He went on waivers a couple of times, right, and so he finally figured mm -hmm. it out. And obviously, he credits Brian Murray uh, bringing him into Ottawa and really, obviously, setting his career on a, the right path, like. I, I hope he gets it. I, I mean, facing Florida yeah. is obviously not going to be an easy task, but eventually he should get to 300. He'll get there. And what's interesting is I remember maybe my third or fourth American League start, 2007, I'm playing against Rochester. I'm with the Omaha Exarban Knights on an Eastern swing. And it was Craig Anderson and I had against each other. And that was when he had been with the Florida organization and they'd signed Belfour. And I remember seeing him at center ice. I was like, man, can't catch a break, huh? He's like, they got to let the kids play. He's got to retire. <laughs> that was the first time we ever talked, you know, and that was way back in like 2007. Um, 12 years later, we end up being teammates as the oldest tandem in the NHL, which was wild. And yep. like, we just had fun, man. Like one day in practice, we switched gloves. So he caught with, caught with my, my, you know, I catch on my right and he catches with his left. So we flipped gloves around for warmups and, that's the kind of stuff you can do when you're old enough that you just don't give a shit anymore. <laughs> <laughs> like, was it a, you weren't obviously in Ottawa very long. Did you, I think it's 10 games. Did you uh, enjoy your time hanging out with Andy? Because the two of you are on the old veteran side, uh, was there a, a, a camaraderie, a camaraderie, if you will? Yeah, it really was Should between us and, and, and goalie coach Pierre Gru, who was there at the time too. Like PG is just the best man. Like, yeah. I love him and and all three of us together were a good team i thought you know i mean i don't mean on the ice for me i did my best but um yeah, yeah and andy and i bond a lot because his dad raced my dad raced automobiles 
at like pretty high level stuff for both of us. And he still races. And I, you know, did karting a little bit as a kid. So I remember one time that we went for, you know, we went for pizza and then we went karting afterwards. It was Craig, myself and Max Lajoie. And like Andy's <laughs> ripping oh, and I'm maybe, I'm probably two tenths off of him, which that doesn't sound like a lot, but in racing, that's a decent amount. And Lajoie was a solid, like half second behind us. <laughs> and so, <laughs> you know, we're just like crushing them every three laps, lapping them. And that was one of my favorite memories. Like we, we actually did bond over a lot of stuff that wasn't even like hockey related. I think that's why we became really good friends. That's neat. Um, by the way, you're watching the uh, Wally Mathot Show brought to you by sportsinteraction.com and this segment brought to you by uh, BEI. If we can just take a moment uh, to share a sponsor message. Bonisher Excavating Inc. BEI specializes in excavation, grading, drainage projects, uh, aggregate, and topsoil sales. Visit BonisherExcavating.com. BEI, helping to shape the Ottawa Valley. Um, Mike, your time in Ottawa was obviously short, um, but you did spend, you were in the organization in uh, 2010, 11, I think it was, or 11, 12, you played in Binghamton. Yeah. Um, did you, did you f like, how did you feel it ended for you at the end? Because I know there's, I, I think if I've heard you correctly, like it was tough for you to go and you weren't very, I'll say, happy with the way things had ended. Yeah. Or just the way you were treated. I wasn't pleased with it. Yeah, I wasn't pleased with it. I, and it's easy to say, oh, he's, yeah, you sucked. We had to get rid of you. Like, no, like the whole, plan of that season i talked i talked to the staff twice in the in the in the week-long period leading up to free agency you know i had phone calls with management about being convinced to come to ottawa to come to belleville specifically to help mentor their young goaltenders and you know if somebody gets hurt you'll get the quick call-ups whatever and so that was kind of what was agreed upon was hey i'm i was truly going to be that number three to mentor the guys in belleville and you know, quick call up, sure. But when you hear that, and when you're called up and you're in a hotel for three weeks to a month and no sign of your goalie partner, Mike Condon coming back, you start to think, this isn't going how I expected because clearly I'm a dead man walking here in Ottawa if I haven't been told to get a place to live. And my family's still in Belleville. You know, my two girls were there. My kid was in school. We, we never lived in Canada. Like it was a big step for us to come there. Like we really had to think about it and um and then yeah it just kind of kept going they they blew through a provision in the cba that says you're supposed to get a letter at 26 days whether you get housing or not that never came 50 I think 56 days i think it's 28 days and then at 56 you're free to get your own housing and i crossed 56 and i got traded two days later uh, and so you know and neither time the cba was followed so that like kind of gave me the idea that there's no way they have a plan for me here to stay. I thought, I truly thought that if they'd trade for somebody, I'd get sent back to Belleville. And I was like, totally fine with that. Cause that's what I had expected. That's what you get used to. Like when you're in my roles, all right, I'm just going to go back, get the family together. Things will be cool. We liked it in Belleville. I was living in Nick Cousins house, sick house, Troy Mann, great coach, like liked it there. And, um, yeah, when I got traded, it was day of the game. I took morning skate for the senators. And then I, carried a trash bag down the hall to the Vancouver Canucks dressing room on national TV in Canada. And it just was unceremonious to get called in. And I just wish it had been Pierre Dorian, frankly, like I wish the general manager had told me I'd been traded and I never heard from him until I saw him in Vegas when I was working as a broadcaster a year later. And that was disappointing to me because that's, if I were a manager in the NHL, I would never do that. I would always call the player 
and tell them myself. I would not delegate that to somebody below me. I would never do that. Um, but that's the way it was. I don't want to go. I, I've beat that horse a few times, but I think that's part of the deal, though, is that you want to play for people you know at least have your best interest as a family and as a person that if that decision has to be made, like, just tell me one-on-one and I'm, I'll handle it. Um, but when people hide behind someone else, it's like, why? Like, what are you afraid of, man? I can handle this. I've been traded before, you know, but that, um, that didn't leave a great impression, you know, but again, I know everybody in this game just about, and like Matt said, we all talk, right? <laughs> yeah. So you said, yeah, you met him a year later in Vegas. Did, do you guys have a conversation or was it just a passing hello? Nope, just said hi, shook hands. That was that. I mean, I'm not, I don't want to belabor anything. I don't want to have enemies, honestly. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and that's where those types of situations, like what are you going to get out of it by just being perpetually angry or bitter or avoid people? You know, like shake hands, it's done, right. it's over. Whatever, man. You know, I thought it was handled yeah. like Well, you shit. wouldn't have played for that long. It was. Yeah, but yeah. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna belabor the thing. It's like it's over. So, um, but that's part of the reason why I wish the franchise would just, you know, get it together, man. Like, people deserve better than this. Players do on times too, because it, it wasn't just me, man. Like, there was weird stuff that had happened for a long time. Like, even, um, you know, Smitty with his being on waivers and then traded and things. Like, there was some other examples that were pretty strange in a lot of ways. And I've, I've always said that was one of the weirdest days I've ever been in that locker room was the day that Zach Smith got put on waivers. It, it was just, it'll still always be one of those days. I never understood it. Which leads me to Logan Brown, which I know you cover in St. Louis. Um, was mm -hmm. the you know 11th overall pick 2016, just turned 24 two days ago. Uh, how did, like, I, I don't know if you've spoken to him about how things went in Ottawa, but he was one of those guys that just never seemed to find the right spot here and, it just it got out of hand, I think, really at the end, and just he, there was just no win for either side in this one. To me, it just felt like it was never a good fit in the first place, you know. And I think that yeah. it, it goes both ways here, though, too. Like I think Logan probably expected more than, frankly, he deserved at first, and I don't know if he was willing to work for it hard enough. And that's that was the word. That's what I saw, and I think that that page has finally been turned. And I think part of it just fell into that where, well, what, what am I getting out of this? Why do I fit here? What's going on? And sometimes that level of apprehension can really just ruin a mindset, you know, like, and you can take it conversely, like the senators didn't even, they hardly even, they almost didn't invite Nick Paul to training camp one year. Okay. A couple of years ago. And look where he is now, you know, like they almost like forgot to invite him or something for what. I was being told like he was our first cut or whatever it was like he was not on the radar whatsoever and he was a pretty high draft pick and that's that's where like you need to nurture your players you need to have layers to your player development to take these players that are first second third round draft picks and let them know we care about you we have a plan for you we're going to implement it we're going to get you feeling good and i don't think there's enough of that and like matthew i I kind of want to ask you that, man. Like you've been in different organizations. You know what that's like. Can you sense that when you're in an organization that really is developing players the right way? Like, isn't there layers to the process? 
I, I think, yeah, I, I think so. I, it was hard for me when I was in Columbus because I was a late bloomer. I mean, I played three years in the American League, over 200 yeah. games or whatever. So I was sort of an outlier, but but um, I never felt like the organization didn't have my best interests, right? Like, like, like I always felt like they were pushing for me to make the next step. So, you know, I never, I never had the opportunity to grow into a prospect role, so to speak, with the Ottawa Senators. So it's hard for me to speak on that, but... To your point, I totally agree. I mean, it's crucial because, you know, as a player, especially a younger guy coming into the league, you don't really have anybody other than maybe your parents supporting your every step, right? So when you're working for somebody, you want to know that your best interests are in their interests and that they want to make you feel good and important or whatever it is. And maybe you do need a little bit of coddling, not to the to the point where it's, you know, a little ridiculous or over the top, but I do agree it is very important. I That was the first time I'd heard that Nick Paul story, by the way. I didn't realize... That he was almost left off, you know, the like put on the back burner, so to speak. I didn't know that, which is interesting. But, um, but yeah, I mean, when I was in Columbus, I had my fair share of run-ins with the coaches and stuff at the American League, and I was frustrated at times. But at the end of the day, there's always someone within the organization trying to help me and talk to me, and that was huge. That's about all I can yeah. throw in there for input. Yeah, I think I think the communication just matters, really. Yeah, like you want to know where you stand. You want people to be honest, yes. and that's where I think. I think Ottawa took a, a huge step forward hiring Troy Mann for Belleville because he's excellent at that. Like Agreed. he is very, very good at developing players. He did it in Hershey. He was a great hire for them and he's done a good job in Belleville. And it's no surprise. He's a very good communicator, but he's very honest with his players. And to me, that matters. But you need players that can handle that too. You know, and that's where yes. you know, sometimes your draft status can kind of cloud your mindset of what you're truly worth or where you belong sometimes. So how's how's Brown looking right now? I just I just want to know really quickly before we drop Logan yeah. Brown because I'm curious. Just now that he's there, because I haven't been following St. Louis at all. What's he looking uh, like? Is he, he looking here like are his stats, player? by the way. 18 games played, three goals, three assists, six points, and he hasn't played I think since mid February, and he's not playing a lot of ice time. Uh, but you can assess oh, okay. his game, Mike. Yeah, I mean, he when he first came in, he scored like first. I don't know. It wasn't his. Maybe it wasn't his first game. Second game, it was early. Um, yeah. You know, he's fit in at a lower role, played fourth line, mixed in, um, which was kind of surprising because he was never pegged as being a fourth line player. Like he was, the, the thing was, he always needs to play first or second line minutes or else he won't be successful. Yeah, right. And I, I think it's a little different with St. Louis because they're a deep team. Yes. And he could swing up True. and down between the third and fourth line and their skill through all four lines in St. Louis. And again, depth really matters. Yeah. Um, he hasn't been a world beater in St. Louis, but he's looked like an NHL player. Uh, he does have an amazing skill set. It's just getting up down the ice quick enough and buying into a system. Yeah. So I, I think he's been supported a little bit better there by the skill that's in St. Louis. Um, but yeah, he's been he's been gone for a bit with he's had injury and been out. And so he has yet to really like cement himself there. He does have a new contract. So it's still a bit of an unknown there. I don't think it's that different of a situation than it was in Ottawa. It's just tr the truly a change of scenery. Mm. Well said. Um, quickly, does is Troy Mann an NHL head coach? There are sometimes guys who are better teachers and they excel in the AHL level because they just they teach players better. Is Troy Mann an NHL head coach to you? Uh, I th I think he deserves the opportunity for sure. I can never you can never judge until somebody actually gets the job. You know, this guy's not a starting goalie. Well, has he ever had the chance? No. 
but he's a backup. <laughs> like, and that's like, right. that dogged me for years. You know, like I think by the time I was 26 or seven or 28, it's like, oh yeah, he's a great American league goalie. And I could never shake that. And of course it didn't, my, my NHL numbers didn't help, but part of that too, look at the teams I was playing on. Like I realistically yep. had probably four games with, with Columbus on a good team. And I, pl I played okay there. You know, I never walked mm. into a good setting with a team and that matters for a goalie. But for, for Troy, like it's the same thing as a coach. You have to walk into a good setting. So like, you know, Kevin Deneen was a good American League coach. Goes to Florida who wasn't any good and it didn't work. Like no surprise, team wasn't any good. They weren't constructed the right yeah. way. Totally I think agree. Troy Mann could coach in the NHL, 100%. Like I, head coach, I do. I just find like people like him that have been in the American League long enough and been labeled and typecast as a certain, certain yes. coach. If he makes the NHL, yep. it'll probably be as an assistant which kind of disappoints me because yeah. I think he's really good. But sometimes you're just battling against reputation or what you've been labeled as. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, the player's coach type guy, right? Or the, the guy that always is the good cop type and he, they just always seem to be that a or that uh, assistant coach. Um, last question before I let you go, and that is you're a chef. You always like to cook. And I used to drive to Ottawa and then drive back to Belleville and cook dinner and then breakfast and then come back to Ottawa. You had a crazy schedule. Um, what is the right temperature to cook a steak at? Oh, <laughs> okay. So everybody pay attention. A couple things. First, you need to dry, dry brine that baby the night before. Put it on a wire rack in your fridge, salt it the night before, let it sit. Then when you fire up your grill or your cast iron or however you're going to do this, you get that steak out an hour before you toss it on. And I think the best way okay. to do it is to reverse sear it. If it's a thick enough steak, you want to get it up to about 115 or so at the reverse with the uh, indirect heat. Mm -hmm. And you take that baby off, crank up the fire, and you want to get it up to about the one, I think 130 is about right. from 125, 130 for me, mid -rare. I'm with you. Yep. But so I well think done the key to it. <laughs> well done is like what's well, it just that's like <laughs> shoe leather. But yeah, I think I think the key to it is you bring it up to heat you bring it up to temperature slowly because here's what happens when people pull things right out of the fridge, toss it in the pan, you get like super done, and then you get like rare in the middle, super done. And it's it's not even. When you bring it out early, you bring the steak up to room temperature, you reverse sear it, you get a nice pink throughout. And it's it's pretty and it tastes good and it's tender and it's well seasoned, which do you, is the key. Seasoning. Do you smoke them? The reverse sear is, is very popular if you're smoking them. Like so, you got the little yep. fire and an indirect heat. Do you do that as well in like a pan or oven? Yeah, well, you can't really do it in the oven as easily, but in the pan, even mean. in a pan, you still could. I just like yeah. to. I'll toss on a little bit of hardwood when I do uh, when I put it on the grill, so it's like a quick smoke. Right, so do I. It's not like it's a big yep. long two twenty five. Like it's just indirect heat. Put a chunk of wood in there. Yep. Oh, baby. I, that makes me happy. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what, I spent all I'm my per diem a... in Ottawa on a knife. I spent it, I swear to God, I went to a, I can't remember the name of the knife store, but I kept going to this restaurant in Canada uh, that I can't remember the name of either. either and I started talking what, to the what chef. What knife did you get? Like, I, I got a, uh, oh, I can't remember right now. It's it a, a Japanese shun? knife. It's a Gyoto. Um, it's a Kyoto. Okay. Oh yeah, man. I can't remember the name of the of the actual blacksmith, but like, I I spent my per diem on a chef's knife. <laughs> I like that. Well played. Yeah, Fujiwara. It's a Fujiwara. 
That's what it is. Okay. And it's, there's, there's right like on. a specialty knife shop in Ottawa that I drove to and was like, I was like slicing potatoes in the store to find the perfect knife. And I was like, this is, this is it. This is my knife and nice. I'll never get rid of it. It'll be a hand-me-down to my family. <laughs> so good. I, we always joke on the show cause I prefer mine medium well-ish and I just get ridiculed mercilessly. Well, so I knew done. you would be on With the With a big swath thing. of ketchup probably too. <laughs> So there's, there's, there's new, I forget this is Canada, HP sauce. <laughs> there's new information now. So if you're concerned about your health or optimizing like everything out of a steak, it's, it's better to have it more cooked than not. And I've just learned this recently. I'm a medium rare guy, but now I do it a little more medium rare plus because apparently that mm. raw meat doesn't absorb properly. Anyway, you have to look it up. If people well, are listening, don't I'll get mad at me. Look it up. Yeah. It matters the cut. Because when yes. I cook like flank steak and skirt steak and hanger steak, I like that closer to medium because I like the beefiness of it. But a ribeye, yeah, give enough. me that baby like mid, a nice, mid rare, man. What do you do with a flank? Do you make like a carne asada or something? I like do it. You know what? I do this Frito chilaquile and I, I'll cook like oh. Fritos in like green salsa. Excuse me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And just, just slice up the hanger or the flank steak like super thin. I'll chuck on like queso fresco and cilantro and all this. Oh God, it's good. Yeah. Sounds That's how you great. do it with flank steak though. You sear it up and slice it nice and thin. We're, yep. we're cooking with fire now, man. <laughs> <laughs> so good. It's perfect time to go for lunch. Uh, Mike, I have a whole other episode I could ask you questions on. So uh, mm. if you'll indulge us someday, we'd like to have you back on, but we've appreciated you stopping by. Uh, to have this chat, I would love friend. to do it again. To you. Hopefully, uh, hopefully right. less people hate me now than before. <laughs> <laughs> don't worry about the Twitter people. We'll take care of them for you. Uh, Mike McKenna, <laughs> thanks, thanks for stopping by. And don't forget, you can you can catch him on DFO, uh, dailyfaceoff.com and SiriusXM Satellite. Uh, and he's also doing post game with the uh, Blues and with the uh, Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, take care, my friend. Thanks again. There goes Mike McKenna, uh, super good dude. He was fun when he was here. We were supposed to do a bunch of stuff together, uh, cooking stuff and whatever, but he got traded before we had a chance to sit down and get some stuff done. But I always love a good backup. They, I mean, they're always they're always fun to talk to. Yeah, and he's he's so outgoing. I mean, that the Mike McKenna that everybody just witnessed right now is the same guy that I played with. I mean, he's just a chatty guy that is very intelligent, very well-spoken. Um, that was great. A lot of good stuff in there. Some of it a little spicy. Um, but, uh, sometimes being spicy and truthful is, is a good thing, right? So, uh, a lot of good yep. information and inside information there from a player who has seen just about everything. Yes. So here's my uh, last question before we go today. And that is, uh, if you were a free agent today, uh, at the end of this season, and you had a choice to sign with either the Ottawa senators or the oh. Arizona coyotes, who are about to play in a 5,000 seat arena, which team are you going to sign with? I don't want to answer that question, Wally, but I will. <laughs> um, so I'll weigh every factor. I'll, 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 I'll be honest with you. And it's tough because obviously I'm a, I love the Ottawa Senators. I'm a super fan. I wear an Ottawa Senators toque every day. Um, for me, it's simple. If Ottawa is a very good team and they're contending, then it's a no-brainer. Obviously, you go to the better team of the two. And Ottawa, if, if they happen to be legitimate, I'll go to Ottawa for my best chance to win. But if if they're both on par and they're both bottom feeders, there's absolutely every reason in the world for me to go to Arizona and avoid completely going to Ottawa. And 
I mean, it's just the truth. And I think just about any player you ask, they would agree. We heard Mike there. I mean, you have a chance to make, first of all, more money in Arizona. The climate is significantly better. Um, you know, <laughs> it's just more pleasant living, quite frankly. Now, I've played for Ottawa when they were good. I played for Ottawa on a several playoff runs. That was incredible. And I loved every second of it. I still get goosebumps thinking about it, driving out there to the games. I mean, the fans waiting for you at the airport when you landed after winning out a series, insane. It was awesome. But if both teams are in that bottom tier around the, you know, anywhere from, you know, that, yeah. oh yeah, bottom right tier they are team now. in the NHL. I mean, I don't care if Arizona's playing in a 5,000-seat arena. I'm going to go play there. I mean, it's just, it's a nicer place to live, quite frankly. It's, I hate saying I, that, I, but it's the truth. I just, I know. But I also think the management and the way that it's handled in Ottawa and the stuff that surrounds outside of playing plays a factor. And until yeah. that gets settled, I think it still becomes and and I uh, it still becomes an issue of where people want to sign. And well, that's they, why like, people talk about not being <clears throat> able to get free agents is because partially so, that. Well, and 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 yes and no. Like there there is a bit of truth to that for sure. Um but uh we talk about management for example at the same time if you look at some of the numbers I mean they signed Shabbat to a steal. Batherson's a steal. Mm -hmm. They're going to lock up Norris you have to think. And then, of course, you've got uh, uh, Kachuk, your captain, who you've just signed, avoiding bonuses. Like, they've made some good moves. I would just yes, love it. agreed. If they could just spend a little bit more money on a couple good players. I know it's easier said than done. You know, for us as pundits, it's easy. But bring in a legitimate top six. And if you can't, bring in a legitimate top four. Just throw us a bone here, okay? Yep. Because that mediocrity, right. that 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 perpetual state of mediocrity and oh we'll get them next year we have some really good players coming in it gets old right and yeah i mean i'm a fan i'm a legitimate fan i am and and i just want to see the team do well i want to be able to bring my kid or i say my son because my daughter as well at some point when she's not a nightmare to be around in public <laughs> yeah i mean at some point i want to bring them to games you know and, and enjoy watching yes. a winning team and saying you know so we're all behind the team but we have to be critical when the team deservedly needs to be criticized. And um, right now, I mean, it's just, it's not good enough. It's just not good enough. The players need a bone, right? They need to be thrown something to say, we are going to try and help you be successful. Because all of a yeah. sudden, Brady Kachuk is going to be in year five, six, seven. And we're like, it's the Connor McDavid thing. Like what just hey, happened? How did we and, lose and all these years? I agree. And that's, that's another conversation that you need to have, right? Like, the league is a lot younger now. So it's not like, well, yes. in about five years, we'll be in our, you know. No, like a lot of these players are hovering near their prime right now. The NHL is not the yeah. way it used to be. You know, like you're not going to wait until you're 30 to get your prime. Like your prime is, it's a young man's game now, Wally. And you know that. You're, I know you're agreeing. So Thomas, like the, Thomas Shabbat's know? played 300 games. Exactly. He's literally played half, almost half the games that I played in my whole career. Granted, I got hurt a bunch, but. My point is, like guys like that, you want to utilize and yeah. take advantage of now, and that's going to be the uh, the issue with the team. And they can do it. Like like I we said that already. Like DJ DJ can coach them. We know that the group likes the the coach. To me, and I'm going to keep saying this. And uh, I, there are there have been some defensive breakdowns that I don't necessarily agree with, coach or uh, philosophical wise as far as coaching goes, but. 
I mean, yeah. to me, I've always said this. I think it's a personnel issue. I mean, and you heard Mike touch on it a little. He's sort of stamping what I was saying. Like, goaltending yeah. has been wild, wildly inconsistent. Their defense core has been, I don't want to say totally Atrocious. inconsistent. It's it's just, it's thin, thin and small. Like, yeah. small and thin. I don't, listen, and I know we're running out of time probably, but I just... I know everyone's always Mark. You know, you're just you're a big defense defenseman. You know, you're obviously biased. You don't believe in the small guys. No, <laughs> I'm not saying that. There's a lot of really good teams out there with some really smaller, good puck moving defensemen. But I don't like. But you need a healthy balance. Look around the NHL. Look around the top teams. I'm gonna. I'm not gonna dig into this too deep because I I've made this point a million yep. times. They're too thin and they're too small. Period. That's it. Up front, you're lacking depth. You need another top six. You need to be able to get away with having Tim Stutzla on your second line up front with another legitimate scoring threat or a good, a really good two-way guy, like a guy that you're going to have to pay a little bit of money to have. I don't know how that fits into the internal budget. I have no idea. I don't look at the business stuff, so maybe I'm a little ignorant to that side of it. But Wally, I think you and I agree. They're just, they're just, they're not there yet, man. It's they're not there. This is the National Hockey League. If you want to win, you got to spend. Uh, you every once in a while, you're going to make it okay. You don't have to spend. You're going to get. You're going to catch fire, and you'll get goaltending, and you'll win a bit. But right now, you need to spend and a improve your group and b show that your group that you want to win now. You they need a little yeah. bit of motivation. The yeah. I, if listen, and I know we talk a lot about Eric Brandstrom. If Eric Brandstrom was so good, he would be in the lineup. There's no coach in the National Hockey League that would keep a player out of the lineup if it helped him win hockey games. Well, not one. So yeah, if, I know. if he's that good, that. he's in the lineup. Nah. If Lassie Thompson's that good, he's in the lineup. So well, I like Lassie. I, uh, last question. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm just saying, if these guys were that good to win, they would be in the lineup. I have, We can argue this all day long that DJ doesn't know how to move players around. I still think if he thought he could win, he'd be in the lineup. Um, can Connor Brown, are we ignoring Connor Brown as being a legit top six guy? We keep thinking that he would be a great third-line winger. And I think sometimes, especially with the way he's played of late, we overlook him maybe able to being a top-six guy. Yeah, sure. You can make that argument. Um, I love his he's, – he's, he's got a very good mind for the game, right? Like his, his, his tendencies, his decision-making yes. is outstanding, and that's a huge strength for him. I, I – I mean, we can play with the numbers, but I do. I, I mean, there's a spot for him for sure on that second line. I mean, I, I don't see why you can't have him there. He's had some really, really good chemistry with Nick Paul, which becomes a bit of, um, which gets tricky when because sure. obviously Nick Paul's not on a good team, and Nick Paul's a good third line player, right? He's responsible to a guy, yep. but but Connor Brown's had so much um, chemistry, great great chemistry with with Nick Paul that. It gets challenging, but you have to look past all that stuff. You have to understand, listen, if he's a legitimate, like I'm talking about uh, Brown right now, if he's a legitimate second line player, yeah. great, no problem. You could still play Formanton on that third line somewhere, but this is where I start to get a headache trying to figure all this stuff out. I think bottom line is, if this team is healthy and you have Batherson and Norris on that top line with Kachuk, we know they're a tremendous top line. That's great. That one's set in stone, and they can play against top lines. I think it comes down to just bringing another depth guy in it and you just figure it out, right? Like you, you bring in another top six forward and you just insert him in there. Yep. He'll develop chemistry with any said players that are currently in the lineup. 
and you move forward. But I mean, there's no secret to this. There's just, there's a lack of depth throughout the lineup and it's chaotic on the back end, especially totally. in net uh, and on defense. Yeah. Like, I don't think that this team is a playoff contending team next season. Uh, well, right now it doesn't look like it, right? And it's funny because, you know, I threw out that wild tweet about Ottawa being better than <laughs> Toronto. I wasn't going to bring it years. up. Not even, and I wrote like, not even close or something like that. Obviously I was trolling to a degree, but part of me was like, was, uh, was authentic with that. Like I was being, I was being genuine, you know, and, but now I'm starting yeah. to question that too, because I, I just, I wanted to see the group take like, like the whole group collectively take a step forward this season. And I know there's been a lot of injuries and there's been COVID, but guess what? Every team's gone through it. I'm just not seeing it now. So now I'm starting to question things a little bit, but I'll be paying close attention to where this group is at. Individually, I like the steps forward that some of the players have taken, which is very good. But I think as a whole, the team's not where we where we expected them to be, right? Anyway. Yeah, agreed. Um, before he blows it off his head, uh, Mark Mathot is wearing a Wally Mathot Gong Show hat, which you can get at gongshowgear.ca. Just thought I would throw that in for a little product placement. Uh, you can go to gongshowgear.ca and order up uh, hoodies, T-shirts, and uh, hats if you want, uh, by the way, gongshowgear.ca. Uh, Math, it's been uh, a great show. Mike McKenna has been phenomenal. Um, we could probably yeah. discuss this lineup all day long as we tend to do each and every week. Uh, so we'll save some, and we'll do it again on Thursday. Okay, sounds good, brother. I'll be over for steak later. No, thanks. <laughs> See ya. <laughs>